0: Wedge Issues is brought to you by Wispolitics.com, a place where political insiders go for news, opinion, and campaign information. Once again, that's Wispolitics.com.
1: My biggest regret about this week's episode is that I don't record video of these podcasts, so I couldn't ask Mark Pocan to do a magic trick and show it to all of you. So we just talked about Congress instead. I'm Jesse O'Poyan, and this is Wedge Issues, a Cap Times podcast about state government and politics in Wisconsin. Congressman Mark Pocan has been representing Wisconsin's 2nd Congressional District since 2013. And before that, he served in the state assembly. And before that, he served on the Dane County Board. So for Madisonians, he's a familiar face. He's also a co-chair of the Congressional Progressive Caucus, which has a lot more influence now that Democrats hold the majority in the House of Representatives. We talked about that along with what's going on in state government and what he thinks about the gigantic Democratic presidential field. And then we talked about cheese in great detail. Stay tuned for that, but first, we'll check in with Eric Lordson and talk about this week's news in state politics.
0: Hello, Eric. Hello, Jesse. How you doing? I'm doing
1: all right. I think the greeting part of these podcasts is still the most awkward part for me.
0: I never know how to
1: say... <laughs> Hi or hey, hello. It's just I, I agonize over how I'm going to greet you. Yeah, every yeah.
0: week. I mean, you have so many options to choose from. You go with a greetings. I could almost like a barman at an old timey <laughs> like tavern. <laughs> greetings, traveler. I
1: could try that. It would be new. Should go straight up. Yo.
0: Yo. Yo. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, that would be, I feel like like you could really, there's a lot to build on in terms of your own personal brand here.
1: Yellow. (laughs) What was
0: that? You
1: know, like, like how, like your grandma would answer the phone, like yellow.
0: I love that. Is that really how your grandma? My grandma said yellow. Yeah. Oh, that's so charming. I love that. I might do that. Yeah. Ahoy, hoy.
1: Ahoy, hoy. Yeah. Yeah. We'll keep trying until yeah. I get the right one.
0: Listeners, our lines are open. Call in with your favorite greeting. <laughs> Please, <laughs> we'll help me. Boat. <laughs> help me. Help you. Uh, so news, though. We should talk about news. I agree. We should talk about that news. Um, kind of a slow news week, but once again, the Joint Finance Committee was uh, meeting throughout the week to go over the proposed state budget probably the biggest item that they ended up voting on was funding for the University of Wisconsin system. They ended up approving a $58 million spending package, uh, which was considerably less than the $130 million that Governor Tony Evers had proposed, less than what the University of Wisconsin system had requested in the first place. It was a vote that certainly left the president of the UW system, Ray Cross, who happened to be the guest on last week's Wedge issues not not too happy from the sounds Didn't of it. Didn't seem pleased. No, not he, thrilled. Yeah,
1: no, the, the component I think that really stood out from this agreement was that um, Tony Evers had proposed directing $50.4 million toward funding the continuation of a tuition freeze and Republicans opted not to... Um, put that money in to fund that. So the freeze continues, but there's no extra money to pay for it, which uh, the UW says is not good for them. And Ray Cross said he felt like he got kicked in the shins. Um, I think he was a little more optimistic and things did not go the way that he thought that they would.
0: Yeah, he did express some optimism yeah. in the interview that yeah. you did with him last week. Yeah. He seemed confident that there would be some bipartisan energy to, to, you know, approve a slightly larger spending package.
1: Yeah. Yeah. So uh, we'll see where that goes.
0: Yeah. Um, One other thing that we'll we'll mention in terms of budgetary goings-on had to do with the Department of Natural Resources. Yeah. Can you just talk a little bit about what exactly the JFC was considering there?
1: Sure. So uh, one of Tony Evers' slogans has been that he'll bring science back to the DNR, arguing that Scott Walker made efforts to cut a lot of science positions. He proposed creating a science bureau, and Republicans did not approve that suggestion. Uh, They did, however, add positions for two research scientists who will be targeting those chemicals that we were talking about last week, those synthetic chemicals, PFAS, PFAS. I don't really know how you actually say it. I just write it all the time, but science stuff. These chemicals have been popping up as an issue throughout the state as people find uh, water contamination resulting for the, from them because they don't break down. So we'll be seeing, it sounds like, some targeted efforts to go after that.
0: All right. Well, it is May of 2019, yet we're already, to some extent, thinking about April 2020, which sure is are. the spring election during which there will be a Supreme Court election. Um, and already people are entering the race, including Justice Justice. Daniel Kelly, already on Supreme Court. He has been serving for the past three years, and now he's saying he wants to put in a bid for what would be his first full term. Um, there are also two other people who have already tossed their hat into the ring. There is a Dane County Circuit judge named Jill Karofsky. There is a Marquette University um, professor named Ed Fallone, who Jesse, people might already be familiar with Fallone because he ran in a previous Supreme Court race.
1: That's right. Yeah. Yep. So Ed Fallone ran in 2013 uh, against uh, now Chief Justice Patience Sack, and uh, he obviously did not win, um, and, and he's given it another shot here. Uh, he would be sort of associated with the, the left-leaning, as we remind everyone these elections are not partisan, except for kind of they are. He would be associated with the left, as would Jill Karofsky, who was recently endorsed by Rebecca Dallet another recently elected justice. Jill Karofsky, also before she was elected to her current judicial position, held a few roles with the State Department of Justice working in uh, crime victim services and and, um, spearheading some violence against women uh, prevention efforts. And Dan Kelly, as you mentioned, was appointed in 2016. He was appointed by Governor Scott Walker to fill the remainder of David Prosser's term when David Prosser decided to retire. So at this point, we're already looking at a primary with three candidates in the race and we'll see if anyone else gets in.
0: Gotcha. Uh, last but not least, uh, we want to acknowledge that it's going to be a big weekend for the Democratic Party of Wisconsin. They'll have their convention during which there will be a vote to uh, determine who is going to chair the party going forward. Um, and listeners can tune in to some uh, episodes we've had in the past few weeks. Jesse, you've talked to both candidates in the running for the position. Ben Wickler and David Bowen. Uh, Yeah, so. Check out those interviews. Check out those interviews. If
1: you're a convention attendee who has a vote and is undecided, you can give him a listen.
0: Very cool. So, Jesse, I'm excited to hear this week's interview.
1: We were talking to Madison's own Congressman Mark Pocan, who has represented the greater Dane County area, along with a few nearby counties, uh, for six and a half years. Um, Prior to that, he was involved uh, in in the state legislature and the county board, so he is a familiar face to those who live in the Madison area, um, and perhaps to those listening in the rest of the state, too.
0: Yeah. Awesome. Well, uh, without further ado, we should uh, transition to that interview.
1: Congressman Mark Pocan is here. Thank you for joining me.
2: Oh, glad to be here. Thanks yeah. for inviting me, Jessica. Yeah,
1: it's a gloomy, rainy day here in Madison, but the rain's calming down a little bit. Hopefully. So.
2: Yeah, you know, but at least it's spring. Everything's that's blooming true. Up. Yeah, it's, a, it's been a long winter.
1: We might finally be out of the the woods on the snow.
2: <laughs> I hope so. I, I know <laughs> that last uh, we had a town hall that last Saturday in April. When we had an inch and a half of snow, Uh, they were saying 7 to 10 potential. And we had almost a whiteout driving down to Beloit where they got it a little more in the south. So that was odd. And at least May we've had no snow. That's good. That's a plus. (laughs) Yeah.
1: So how often do you get back to the Madison area?
2: I get home pretty much every weekend. But uh, our schedule is generally three weeks there during the week, one week home. Um, Right now we just finished a four-week period. I'm home for a week and then four more weeks. And then home for a week and three weeks. So um, th- because we're in the appropriation season and, of course, I'm on appropriation, so this is really busy. Um, life's a bit of a blur in Washington right now. Yeah,
1: it seems that way. Well, it seems kind of blurry over at the state capitol here, don't you? So, That's yeah. true.
2: Just <laughs> those old days of doing the budget as well.
1: Right. <laughs> yeah. You've just been in the thick of it the whole time. Yeah. yeah. Um, So you've been in Congress, what, six years now? Is that right?
2: Um, Yeah. So there's about six and a half. Six and a half.
1: Okay. So tell me about the the path that got you from... Kenosha to Congress. Yeah.
2: Wow. Uh, well, I'll try to do the very, very, very yeah. bridge version. Um, well, I, you know, I, I think in college I used to be very active. Actually, going back to Kenosha, I was active in campaigns. My dad was on the city council, ran for mayor. Um, I took a semester off of college to help him. We uh, lost narrowly 31 votes out of 22,000. <laughs> so I uh, learned a little from all that experience, but I uh, was active with uh, young Democrats and uh, helping on campaigns, caring about progressive issues, and uh, eventually ran for the County Board here in my late 20s. Uh, Served with Tammy Baldwin and a whole lot of other people who are in the legislature now and and things. And then um, went on to the state legislature where I served 14 years, which I uh, truly loved. It was a great experience and spent six of those years on the Joint Committee on Finance. Really, really loved that work. And then um, back in 12, uh, wound up running for Congress when Tammy ran for the Senate. Uh, And now I serve on the Appropriations Committee, which I really, really enjoy. And uh, that's the short version. <laughs> yeah.
1: <laughs> so you're, I mean, pretty unquestionably a Democrat, a progressive Democrat. What is it about that party and and those values that attracted you?
2: Yeah. I, and, you know, I am one of the people that's here because of the values, right? I, you know, quite honestly, it take... For years, it took me away from my business that I started when I was 23. Mm -hmm. And, you know, right now it takes away from my family and friends. And but I I really believe that, um, you know, how we can provide uh, people with opportunities for their families so they can live their lives to their fullest uh, and do it in a progressive way that's respectful of each and every person. And, you know, there's a lot of uh, bad players uh, out there, a lot of bad ideas out there. And, you know, I think you have to have some people who are gonna really lay down the marker when it comes to things like healthcare. We wanna make sure every single person has access to healthcare. It shouldn't shouldn't have to be bankrupt, go bankrupt in order to get care for your family, or you shouldn't not have coverage because you have a child with a preexisting condition. I I used to always say um, that we always call it health insurance, but it used to be profit insurance because you didn't actually cover people who (laughs) needed it. You covered the people who are healthy and that was great for insurance companies, but not great for real people. So it's those kind of issues kind of bring me to do what I do and why I can still get up every morning and do this, because, you know, especially these days with Donald Trump, uh, days are a little darker in Washington than uh, you might uh, think. But uh, there's a lot we've got to fight for to make sure that, you know, people are getting a a fair chance in their lives.
1: So how would you describe your congressional district to someone in D.C. or someone who hasn't been here before. Yeah.
2: And you know, I do it a lot because um, I, I love to explain the district, especially because uh, people are always like, oh, you have that liberal district. Right. You have Madison. Yep. Well, Madison's a third of the district. Uh, another third of the district is the rest of Dane County. And as you know, I live in the rural western mm-hmm. part in the town of Vermont between Black Earth and Mount Horeb. Uh, our agricultural product in Dane County is bigger than 15 states agricultural products. So that already tells you that, okay, that's a little different than Madison, right? Yep. Then the rest of the district, I split Rock County uh, with the first congressional district and I have Beloit's the second biggest municipality in the district. But I have Greene County and Lafayette County and Iowa County and Sauk County, a little bit of Richland County. Um, Lafayette County is one of the two counties in the state that is so rural and so um, uh, lightly populated that it doesn't have a stop and go. Like. There's only two like that. And <laughs> I think the growing population might be Amish. Yeah. So when you explain that rural agricultural nature of the district mixed with Madison, it's really a very diverse district and has lots of uh, different interests that I've got to make sure I'm juggling to properly represent everybody.
1: Yeah. It's not just the stereotypical Madison lefty hippie, whatever. Yeah, I yeah.
2: did a, I did a national radio show last night. And as I'm explaining my problem with the tariffs uh, right now that the president's arbitrarily putting out there and the hurt that's being felt by soybean farmers and dairy farmers and corn growers and you know the little assistance that he's giving for lip service but it's like one cent on the dollar for a corn grower two cents on the dollar for a dairy farmer and maybe 50 cents on the dollar for a soybean farmer this national radio show guy I think had always pegged me as oh the guy from Madison Mm -hmm. and now he's like oh yeah you actually represent (laughs) all that area so I think it's good to be able to show people that um you know, you can have progressives in really rural areas. In fact, you should if they're really following the issues. And uh, that's why I love the district I have.
1: So uh, lo- looking at the different levels of government that you've served in, and you've really been at every yeah. level, um, mm-hmm. what are the, what, what do you like best about each level? And what are sort of the negatives about, you know, county versus state versus federal?
2: Yeah, great question. I think the best way is say at the county level, you could have much quicker impact, uh, certainly, than Congress and more than the legislature, but you affected a smaller number of people. At the legislature, you had a little bigger uh, group of people you could affect, but things moved a little slower. And now, uh, you know, turtles run past <laughs> us uh, in getting things done in Congress. But the effect can really have a huge magnitude of affecting people across the country. And you have to have a tremendous amount of patience. Um, it's it's different. And every, also, every level is a little different in the interpersonal relationships. i, I Truly loved the legislature. I, I had great relationships with people on both sides of the aisle. In Congress, um, there's a lot of individual sport players, you know, and I've always been very much a team player. And, uh, you know, it's, it's a different experience, but um, boy, the issues that we take up are so, oh so important. And uh, especially to have progressive voices um, being strongly represented, it's, it's essential.
1: What surprised you most about going to Congress? What wasn't uh, what you expected there?
2: You know, I'll tell you, the, the least favorite part I have about the job <laughs> is getting there. Um, this year, two-thirds of my flights prior to Easter were seriously delayed or canceled. I spent an hour on the tarmac. Actually, I take it back. Fifty minutes, five zero minutes on the tarmac yesterday, two weeks ago, two hours on the tarmac before we could take off because of weather. I mean, I can spend a day getting there because of canceled flights and missing connections. And uh, I'm a big advocate. I'm trying to change our calendar in Washington Hmm. to be – instead of we have four-day weeks when we're out there, um, have two five-day weeks – Maybe we'll stay over the weekend and get to know each other. God forbid Uh, that would happen. (laughs) Uh, And then you'd be home for two weeks in your district because it's as important that I'm representing the views of people across the district as I am trying to explain Washington to everybody in the district because I'm the elected representative to do that. So I think that 50-50 split of time, it gives us more floor time than we currently have under that scenario because you're not just sitting – in an airport or on an airplane, uh, but you're actually getting work done, and then you're also doing the things that I think are important, getting to those small towns and finding out you know, why rural broadband's important or why, again, this tariff uh, action is really hurting a, a certain type of farmer. So, I, I think that part surprised me is just how much time is utterly wasted in airports and <laughs> airplanes.
1: Yeah. Yeah. That's No one likes that. <laughs> especially no. when you're trying especially, to work. Especially yeah. sitting
2: on the tarmac. You know. I yeah. Mean, yeah. Or even at National, the part of it is with the little mountains that are there, storms kind of linger. Mm, so, I've yeah. spent several times spending like six hours at the airport with Tammy Baldwin, just waiting <laughs> for them to let us know if our flight. And then, usually, at some point at night, they'll say, okay, we're not going to go out tonight. Yeah. And you just spent that entire day at an airport and you just can't be productive like you need to at the airport.
1: Right, yeah. So in your time in Congress, you've had sort of a few different environments in terms of partisan makeup. I mean, you've been in the minority when there was a Democrat in the president's office. You're now the House majority uh, for the first time since you've been in Congress, but you've got Donald Trump in yeah. the White House and the uh, Republicans controlling the Senate. How has the, the way that Congress operates changed in your different experiences in, in terms of partisan makeup there?
2: Yeah. You know, I mean, I think so often I learn this from the legislature, too. It's rare to have Democrats in control of everything or Republicans in control. There's almost always split government. Mm -hmm. And that'll change depending whether we're the majority in the House or the minority and who's in the White House of what things get done differently. Right now, I think the biggest difference is I'm a lot busier. Um, I've always been busy out there, but now I'm actually busy in a more productive sense that, you know, we're passing legislation. We're doing some things. That we have to try to get the Senate, and the President, to agree with. I'm not sure how successful it will be, especially with this President. Um, sometimes I feel like when he gives us answers, it's like his head is a giant magic eight ball, <laughs> and depending <laughs> what he shakes it, what comes up is what he says, because there's not like always a logic uh, to attached to it. But you know, we have the opportunity at least showing people what the path could be if we had different people in office who cared more about the American people. And, um, you know, I, I think already this session, we passed a very comprehensive bill, H.R. 1, around uh, campaign finance, election, and ethics reform. We've passed several gun violence prevention measures. We've passed a Equality Act to, to ensure equality for the LGBTQ community. Uh, we've um, passed paycheck equity. Women make 80 cents on the dollar to men nationally. We uh, just passed a, a retirement security bill that got almost every single vote in Congress, but it actually has some very... Very significant changes. We've been doing a lot of good work. And I think having that happen, plus we for the first time in history, the War Powers Act, uh, you know, we did with uh, in regards to Yemen. Unfortunately, the president vetoed that. At least we're having some meaningful debates that I think are important, and I, I wish we could sometimes break through all of the conversations around impeachment. Um, I understand why it's there, but I think they also could look at the things that are moving and what we can try to get done. The difficulty then is we have to find someone in the other party necessarily to agree with us, and that's one thing. But when you have a president like this, it's another thing because you know he's not your normal Republican, and and. I think you could also. He's just not normal, <laughs> period, <laughs> to some degree, and uh, that makes it very difficult.
1: Well, you, you brought up impeachment, which we we're obviously going to get to at some point. Because I, I'm shocked. <laughs> I'm shocked. <laughs> but I, I do not want to spend a ton of time on it, because like you said, there's a lot of other stuff to talk about. But, um, you know, you recently made news by showing willingness to talk about uh, impeachment hearings inquiry. Um, yeah. You didn't go all the way to saying it's time to start proceedings. But how did how did you get there? Why did you decide to take that stand? Yeah, you
2: know, after, and I read the Mueller report, and, you know, it's an extensive read. And I think one of the things that, really kind of woke me up as we had a town hall right after that came out. And then I had another event with about 60 very smart, political, connected people. And I asked, have you read the Mueller Report? None of those two groups, one person raised their hand and had read it. And I understand why. It's like 480 yeah. pages. It's got footnotes. It's like not an easy, you know, um, read, although it's a very interesting read. But We need to be able to ask questions that came up from that report. Mr. Mueller clearly said there's 10 possible charges of obstruction that Congress has to deal with. Not the attorney general, not the president, but Congress, and we are the representatives of the American people to get that information. And the president keeps saying he's innocent, but then he's blocking Everybody at every turn from coming to Congress to answer those questions, and at some point we have to do something to compel people to have to come and answer the questions that we clearly have that Mr. Mueller laid out for us in the report, or else uh, clearly uh, we're not going to have the full answers we want to. So President keeps saying we want to do the report over. We just want to get the final score of it, right? We need to know um, some of the richness around what he told Mr. McGahn to do about getting rid of Mr. Mueller. Uh, We need to know about uh, all the different aspects that come up there. And uh, I I think this week when Mr. McGahn didn't come to testify, uh, once again, a president stopping people, uh, we have to figure out a way to compel it. The best way from the people I've talked to, if you start impeachment inquiry, you've got more leverage to get people to come to Congress And answer the question. So I think that's the stage we should be at. Um, I also think that I I live by the Wisconsin smell test. Um, If the president truly is innocent, he should be offering these people a ride to the hearing, giving them a big bottle of water so they can be heard clearly as they explain how innocent he is. Um, But he's not doing that. And that's not what innocent people do. So, you know, I really think it's just we had to do more. And just in the last 48 hours, literally about two dozen members uh, did exactly what I did um, because – and there were some people already who had said that. But we're just, like, tired of having the president thumb his nose at the American people via not allowing people to testify to Congress.
1: I mean, it seems like there's still some division within the party over where to go with this. And like you said, a lot more people have come out um, since you did yeah. come in favor, at least in, of, of inquiry. But do you worry about the political aspect of this
2: so I'm trying to not think about the political aspect and think about the constitutional aspect, which is, you know, I swore to my my oath to the Constitution, not to Nancy Pelosi or the Democratic Party. And therefore, um, if I think there's been a violation, which I think there has from reading the report, uh, that's what I have to do. So do I want Mike Pence to be president? Um, as a gay man, hell no. <laughs> uh, I know what that means, right? Uh, do I uh, want to do something that could be politically uh, not in the best interest because he can rally his base? No, but it's not a political consideration. This has got to be uh, based on the Constitution. And that's why I'm making that. And quite honestly, I think it's kind of semantical where the differences are with members. There's a lot of members who are basically, it just depends what that straw will be that breaks the camel's back for them. But I would say over half the members are about where I'm at, just with maybe a little difference of being what that next straw will be, but very frustrated with the president who uh, is just refusing to cooperate.
0: Wedge Issues is sponsored by Wispolitics.com. You can become a Wispolitics.com member. Find out more at Wispolitics.com slash membership.
1: The look of the Democratic Party in Congress has really changed over the last few years. Yeah. And I mean, you've been part of the Congressional Progressive Caucus for quite some time. You're the co chair now. And it seems like all of a sudden, it's not all of a sudden, it's been growing, but all of a sudden, the Congressional Progressive Caucus is. In the news, it's really relevant. Um, yeah. how, how has that <laughs> developed over the years? What do you think kind of brought brought you guys into the forefront?
2: Well, we're about 40% of the Democratic caucus. So mm-hmm. one is just pure volume, right? Yeah, yeah. You know, um, so that helps. Uh, but I think, you know, one of the things when I first got there, Keith Ellison is an amazing uh, now attorney general in Minnesota, but he was an amazing mayor of Congress, a good friend. He did a lot to improve the status of the, C- of the Congressional Progressive Caucus, or the CPC, as we call it. When it started, it was more of a social group. And then, you know, Keith really helped to professionalize it, getting more active with our outside progressive partner groups and really strategizing more and doing things. And then when he was running for DNC and I became co-chair and then Pramila Jayapal came to Congress, who's a great friend and a great member of Congress from Seattle, um, she and I really just decided to take it to the next level. And one of the good things about uh, Paul Ryan being speaker was we didn't do anything uh, because he never (laughs) stood up to the Tea Party or the president. And he gave us some time to really go and build the CPC. And we built it on the inside and the outside with all of our progressive partners we met with. Uh, We actually helped to raise money for an outside entity, our 501c3 slash force, the Congressional Progressive Caucus Center, redid our bylaws to create it and all this. But ultimately, you know, there were several million dollars that was raised. And we, as part of the progressive movement, which this is part of, uh, now have this better continuity so that we can have more influence, so that we can uh, tell our progressive partners what we're up to they can tell us what they're up to and we can together have a big big voice. So it's not like just like a single megaphone, but we've got a lot of little megaphones around the country and we can now uh, really move some issues. So uh, we've had a chance to build the movement and I think it was very um, strategic and it happened at the right time as we were taking the majority. And uh, now we're just trying to make sure that uh, when things can go askew, which uh, among Democrats that can happen quite often, (laughs) uh, you know, we want to make sure that we're protecting the the interests uh, of the progressive values that I think most American people share.
1: You've asked or been asked this question before and and just how the CPC compares to the Freedom Caucus on the right and another sort of offshoot within that, you know, has maybe slightly different values from the mainstream wing of the party, but um, I know you see a lot of differences there, so what are they?
2: Yeah, I think the biggest difference is, you know, they were the party of no. That's why nothing got done. Um, we're kind of the party of yes. We have lots of ideas. We want to see Medicare for all. We want to see us negotiate for prescription drug prices uh, to lower the cost of drugs. We want to invest in infrastructure. We want to raise the minimum wage. We want people to be able to collectively bargain and have a voice in their workplace. We want to have uh, the Green New Deal and really address climate change in a serious and substantive way. We We want to change how uh, immigration policy is done in this country, certainly under this president. And because we believe in things, uh, we're not there to stop things. We actually want to see our ideas that often when you look at polling is where the vast majority of the public's also at uh, become uh, a reality. So I think that's the difference. Now, can we hold things up like the Tea Party? We will if we have to, but that's not our natural inclination. Our natural inclination is to actually see good policy move forward.
1: Um, you had a reputation in, in the state and I think at least in your early days in Congress of being a guy who does work across the aisle, has good relationships with Republicans and Democrats alike. Is it harder to do that now?
2: You know... I- I- I, I consider the executive branch very separate from Congress. Um, you know, serving on appropriations, um, one of the very nice things about that committee uh, is you don't have a lot of Tea Party Republicans. I knew a Tea Party guy who was on there and got off of the committee, and he said, you know, all they do is want to spend money. Well, <laughs> that's, that's what the, the purpose committee does. Well, that's what the committee. Yeah, yeah. so <laughs> yeah. thank you for uh, playing and, Right. But most of the people on there understand what their jobs are. So we actually have a very good relationship with the Republicans on the committee, and um, I I really enjoy that, and also I just uh, I was named to be one of the six Democrats on a a select committee of modernization. There's six Dems, six Republicans. Uh, We're trying to improve how Congress operates, and everything needs a two-thirds vote. So we just passed five uh, measures recently that I think will make things work a little better. It's just a first uh, foray into doing that. Um, So I still do that kind of work. Yeah. I have to admit, though, I don't know. It's it's hard as I would like to. I don't know how you can cooperate with this president given he's so irrational and he's so narcissistic and he's so uninvolved with policy um he doesn't read briefings he you know he comes at it from such a different place i still think he thinks he's a reality show star and it's about ratings and um you know, it's devastating for the country. So uh, that makes it tough on that sense. And I, I do think that one is a really tough egg for me to try to crack. Um, but I, I still try to work with Republicans because ultimately most of the time we will be in split government. That's what the American people expect of us. Sure.
1: So jumping to the state level where there is split government mm-hmm. um, and things don't seem to be going all that well in terms of yeah. <laughs> relationships between the two parties, uh, you know, you've been friends with Speaker Robin Voss for quite some time. Yep. Um, I'm sure you know Governor Evers well, too. Yeah. What have you? Well, first of all, do you talk to them about what's going on? Do you offer any advice? And if you haven't offered advice, what advice would you give them to try to get along?
2: Yeah, you know, I, I think it's interesting because, um, you know, Tony, I've talked to a lot, especially during the campaign and enjoyed spending some time with him on his bus and he and his wife. And, you know, Tony is quintessential Wisconsin. I think if you cut him, uh, cheese would come out <laughs> um, because I, I like to tell people of D.C. I go when he says, golly gosh, you know what he means? Golly gosh, because uh, that's just him. I mean, he had a polka band at the inaugural because he likes polka music. Uh-huh. You know, like this is Tony, right? Yeah. Um, and and Robin is very smart. I mean, I think, you know, of all the speakers I serve with, um, you know, Scott Johnson was very, very good at his job, albeit, unfortunately, maybe a little corrupt. Uh, but um, Robin, uh, you know, is very, very bright guy and generally uh, – you know, shows that. I think right now there's a bit of a battle for the alpha Republican in the state, Uh, you know, without having Paul Ryan and and Scott Walker. Robbins generally, I think, has that role, but trying to make sure he has that role. And he's come across, I think, harsher than he needs to, because I don't think coming across harsh against Tony Evers makes any sense, because Tony's an eminently likable, you know, guy. And I think he's made some mistakes on that front. But, you know, I just want them to hopefully, you know, talk as much as possible. I mean, the reality is when you have a Democratic governor, they can veto bills. You have to work with them. Right now, I think they're still in the a different stage of trying to stand up to the governor at some point. I'm hoping through this budget process maybe is where they figure out how to get things done. But, you know, right now, they both agree that we have to invest in our roads, in our infrastructure. Mm-hmm. And I think they even agree on a funding source. So they just have to both agree to the yes answer they're giving each other, <laughs> and we'll get somewhere. And I think, you know, that's one of the things that has to happen yet. But, uh, you know, it's tough when they're trying to restart a budget, they're trying to really lay out the stakes. Uh, ultimately, I mean, the single most important thing that we can do in this state is uh, redistricting reform. You can't have The gerrymandering go on. And this is something Robin and I disagree with quite uh, vociferously. (laughs) Um, You know, he tries to pretend like there is no gerrymandering. I laugh at him for a while and then, uh, you know, argue. Uh, But clearly when, you know, over 50 percent, 53, 54 percent of the people vote for a Democrat for a state assembly and they get 36 of the seats, uh, we have a seriously gerrymandered state. And uh, we've got to address that.
1: So um, looking at the national level now, Wisconsin is going to be home to the Democratic National Convention. Yeah. It's exciting stuff. Mm-hmm. Uh, as you've said before, the presidential nominee will actually have to come here this yeah, time. Yeah, we figured out how to do it. <laughs> <laughs> you just can't avoid it. <laughs> uh, what, do you, what do you think that's going to mean for the state um, and and what role do you think Wisconsin's going to play in 2020?
2: Yeah, I'll tell you, you know, they say it's at about $100 million or more of economic activity. So that's a big boost, especially to Milwaukee. Um, I already was told, I think hotel rooms in Madison for that week are 95% full. Like, so it's going to have ripple effect as well. And I, I was told, and I, I don't know this 100%, but what I was told was when Charlotte had the convention years later, they actually attracted a lot of new business and other activity because the national spotlight was put on the community and it's a nice community. Well, so is Milwaukee, right? Yes, yeah. Wisconsin's a great place. So yeah. doing that might actually have some extra ripple effects. So th- the good news is, I don't care if you're a Democrat or a Republican. You know, my good friend Reed Ribble, who left Congress, who was a Republican from Green Bay, was trying to help us find some of the resources we need to have the convention because he knew it was good for the state. Yeah, And that should be the approach we have. And if that was a Republican convention, I'd be doing the same because ultimately, it's really good for the state. And um, I-, I think, uh, I'm-, I'm really glad they picked us. You know, granted, we used a little bit of underhanded tactics because I think it was Miami and Houston and us were like, we don't have her hurricanes. I mean, (laughs) we don't have 95 degree weather and humidity. Like, you know, we try to offer our best. Yeah. And we won. Milwaukee
1: (laughs) in the summer. You can't beat it. Oh, by
2: the lake. Yeah. And I mean, it's gonna be a really nice convention.
1: Yeah, it's gonna be fun. So is it good that the Democratic presidential field is as gigantic as it is?
2: I think it's good, and my rationale is out of this process. And even though you know there's caucuses and closed primaries and open primaries, there's some difference in how we select in every state. The person who is the best contrast to the American people to Donald Trump will hopefully be the nominee, and that's what we need. We need to show the best contrast, um, not necessarily the most you know on policy, uh, but it might be on personality. It might be uh, other contrast, but that's what this process will determine for us. So. I think it's a good thing, and um, I, I think you know. Out of that, we should be in a good position. After all the polls I look at, even though today I listened to a little bit of Donald Trump's uh, press conference, you know, as he's <laughs> talking about how he keeps getting forty-eight and fifty-one percent approval. I know all the other polls that are out there. I mean, he's lopsided significantly. Um, even though we have an economy that's continued well since the Obama administration, um, the problem is we have a president that people still ultimately don't like. And I think he's gonna have a hard time changing that.
1: So I don't expect you to, um, you know, choose a favorite or, or comment on any, anyone super specifically. But I got to ask, I mean, as an openly gay man in Congress, how does it feel to see an openly gay presidential candidate? I mean, the possibility of, of that happening? Yeah, I, you know,
2: I, there's so much diversity in this field, right? So you've got um, Mayor Pete running, uh, who obviously, uh, a very smart guy, very young, quite a contrast in that sense, openly gay, uh, being a serious contender on the cover of national magazines, which I guess means something. I guess. Um, and, you uh, <laughs> Yeah, that's that's good. And then, you know, I've got four people from my class in Congress running for president wow. right now. I know. Um, you've got people like Bernie Sanders who I've got enormous respect for because the reason we're talking about Medicare for All and other issues today that I'm fighting for are because he brought them up and they wouldn't be issues if it wasn't for him. The same is true as Elizabeth Warren. You know, she um, has been, I think, very innovative this cycle and coming up with a lot of great new policy ideas so this is, just, I think, overall a good thing. I, I think we should all, as Democrats, should learn the lesson from the gubernatorial primary where we all did our best to be on our best behavior. And I think candidates accomplished that. And out of that, we had a strong Democratic nominee come out and beat Scott Walker. And I think, you know, if we don't uh, decide to have a circular firing squad, uh, we will do uh, quite well.
1: So one more serious question before the lightning round. All right. All um, right. You, as you've said, you'd rather not talk about impeachment all the time, and, and it's sort of impossible to avoid. Given the just the way that that news cycle sucks the air out of everything else, what yeah. are the things that aren't being talked about that you wish we were talking about more.
2: So, so this is part of my reason for the impeachment inquiry as well, is that's all I will get asked by, especially by national reporters. Local reporters, quite honestly, ask us about more, which I appreciate. But nationally, that's the only thing that they want to talk about. And um, as much as I say Congress can walk and chew gum, we can do all those bills that I mentioned earlier in the podcast. Those are things we've actually passed already in the House of Representatives and do impeachment. I think reporters can also walk and chew gum and Mm -hmm. they can cover more, (laughs) right? I'm a journalism major, so I'm saying this with respect for the profession. And I think uh, if you do the inquiry, you can then point to, okay, we've started the inquiry and we'll see what happens out of it. And by the way, did you notice this week we passed bills that are helping to reduce the price of prescription drugs via generics, Uh, and uh, we're helping to fix the Affordable Care Act, and we're uh, making sure that women who are getting paid 80 cents on the dollar can get pay equity, and we're passing serious reform around elections, campaign finance, and ethics reform, uh, actually addressing the draining of the swamp rather than just draining it deeper and building a high-rise luxury condo on it like Donald Trump has, right? (laughs) We've done those things, and I think that is our best way to be able to profile those things and still do the very important process of getting the full information out of the Mueller report.
1: Okay. Ready for the lightning round? Absolutely. All right. What's your favorite Wisconsin beer?
2: Favorite Wisconsin beer? I'm going to have to say two, Okay. um, and I will say Spotted Cow uh, and Hopalicious.
1: Good choices. Very Uh, good choices. Yeah. Are they both in your district?
2: Um, they both are in the district, and they're both very different. Yeah, they um, are. Yeah. yeah. I, I generally like an IPA, a hoppier IPA, mm-hmm. um, but uh, there's something about Spotted Cow it's that classic. everyone loves. Yeah, yeah.
1: definitely. <laughs> and
2: everyone in D.C. knows about it, and it's like a, a <laughs> yeah. mystery to them. It's like Bigfoot. You know, they've heard about it. They've never really seen it. Yeah. And uh, it's kind of fun. That's that's
1: Yeah. <laughs> that's probably like half of the appeal. It's just the myth- mythical element of it. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Uh, so I'm going to ask you to name most admired politicians on both sides of the aisle, living or dead.
2: So I, this one I, I may get some controversy on, but I mean, Fighting Bob LaFollette, I'll say, is a Republican. He was a Republican. Sure. Um, yeah, yeah. But then he you know, became a progressive, but I'm a huge collector of old Fighting Bob LaFollette right. uh, memorabilia. Um, Do you have a, a
1: Fighting Bobblehead?
2: Um, I do have a funny yeah. bobblehead, yeah. <laughs> and I have about thirty different buttons from when he ran from wow. either governor, or senator, or president on the Progressive Party ticket, and I have posters and all that kind of stuff. Um, uh, also, Teddy Roosevelt. I mean, I think I appreciated his spirit. And uh, more recent, uh, Lee Sherman Dreyfus was kind of, I think, a enigmatic figure, and you know, was the Republican governor who signed the gay and lesbian civil rights bill yeah. in Wisconsin back in nineteen eighty-two, nine years before any other state. On the Democratic side. Um, You know, there's many, uh, I guess you could go all the way to, you know, things like FDR, you know, what he did for the country and and where we are as a country because of him. But more recently, um, Dave Obie, who used to be a member of Congress, was the head of the Appropriations Committee from Wisconsin. I really... Look up to in many ways as a role model and um, currently in Congress, you know, you guys get in trouble if you do that because I serve with so many people. Yeah. But Rosa DeLauro um, from Connecticut, who's now the chair of my um, uh, labor, human services, education, subcommittee appropriations. I work with her on trade and a bunch of issues. I want to be her someday. I want to have (laughs) the energy and the fight to come every issue and she is just ready to rip-roar, take it on (laughs) after so many years in Congress and her values are so, you know, progressive and solid and um, I love the fact, just how she operates. uh, She's an amazing person.
1: Yeah. What is your favorite vacation spot in Wisconsin?
2: In Wisconsin? You know, I like to, I think my, what I like to do is take the back roads, right? Mm -hmm. Um, uh, So, you know, a lot of people know about Madison or they know about Door County or up north, as mm-hmm. we always refer to, <laughs> like the double right. up, up and north. Um, but I think, like, you know, you go to Spring Green mm-hmm. or you go to Baraboo or M- Mineral Point and Dodgeville Hill. These are like cool artists. Uh, you want to get rural, you go down to, you know, Darlington or New Glarus, And while you're in New Glarus, you can actually... Visit the brewery that makes Spotted Cow, yeah. and um, and what I love about that is they give you a little certificate, so you can go in town then and get your beer. But they're sending you into that little oh, nice town, nice. Yeah. yeah. So it's yeah. really cool. So I think those kind of backroads experiences are what are really the best.
1: Yeah, well, there's so much to see that you just would have no idea it was there. Yeah, just yeah. skip
2: ninety four. It's it's already it's always under construction. Yes, anyway. that's always good <laughs> advice. Yeah.
1: <laughs> what is the best concert you've ever been to?
2: Oh, I'm gonna say two. Um, one, about a dozen years ago, um, um, it was for my husband Phil's uh, 30th birthday. I surprised him with one day notice. We went to the live Earth concert in London. Ooh. And um, that was very cool. And we I bought fa- someone's fan tickets from, I think it was... I don't even remember what artist it was for that, but it put us in a great spot, and that was just at Wembley, and it was awesome. That's so cool. Um, But I also, we went on one just a few years ago. We drove to Detroit to the Fox Theater and uh, saw Beck, and the opening band didn't make it, so Beck did the first half acoustically and the second half, you know, the normal way, and that was really, really fun. So that was a great concert, too. That's good.
1: Yeah. Do you know what your first concert was?
2: Oh, it was probably a Grateful Dead. I'm Ooh, quite okay, sure. okay. <laughs> I, I've been to a few of those. <laughs> All right. <good laughs> I to have know. a ticket stub from Jerry's last concert that I was at um, in Chicago, the very last concert he did. Wow, that's yeah. awesome. Yeah.
1: So you've probably done a lot of stereotypically Wisconsin things, but if you had a, a Wisconsin bucket list of things, something that you haven't done that you'd like to do, a place you want to travel or an activity or something like that, anything still on the list?
2: You know, this isn't like a necessarily bucket list because it's not difficult. I just haven't done it. Yeah. But for me, finding time sometimes is difficult. Yeah. As I have not seen a – and I'm not a huge sports person, but I would love to go see a Bucks game in the new yeah. uh, facility they have. Yep. I think that would be a lot of fun, and I just have to find time to do it.
1: Yeah. Same. I have not made it there either. But, yeah, it looks awesome. Yeah. I just, yeah.
2: Because I've lived through the experience of that being built, I'd like to know and see what it looks like.
1: Yeah. yeah. Um, so if you're in the car, which you are sometimes, or if you're on the plane, the <laughs> are you listening to music? Are you listening to podcasts, radio? Are you just making calls all the time? How do you pass the time? Um,
2: I, I try and I can't always do calls all the time because of my district, because right? yeah, I yeah. do have some dead spots. But I do – probably the majority is radio, and I'm kind of a talk radio guy. So, yeah. But, I, like, I, because I live, you know, 35 minutes from downtown Madison, I'm almost always in the car, like, even mm-hmm. if I'm coming in for anything. So um, I go between, you know, listening to, like, MSNBC and Progressive Radio, but then I also listen to Fox and even the Patriot Station. Um, and then I try to get balanced by listening to BBC. <laughs> so uh, – and then once in a while, if I need to get away from it all, I put on um, Comedy Central. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you got to just
1: laugh sometimes. Exactly. Yeah.
2: It's, it's, some of their programs are pretty good.
1: Yeah. Okay. So let's talk about magic. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, you do magic tricks. Yeah. How did you start Um what, do you have, like, a favorite one? Can you tell me about it? What's what's you, the magic about for you? You know,
2: I was a kid. I was checking out books from the library in Kenosha, Wisconsin, where I grew up, and the librarian noticed and asked me if I would do a magic show. And I was this chubby little kid with long hair. <laughs> uh, I, had this, I Like, I had a helmet of hair, which is probably why I have been <laughs> now. I grew it all then, and <laughs> I wasted my opportunity. And, uh, like, there's a picture of me, like, when I'm nine, performing for, like, you know, 75 kids at the year. And they used to pay me <laughs> two 50-cent McDonald's certificates. Ooh, so I was making some big bucks. Yeah, it's not bad. And, but I, that's how I paid for a good chunk of college. I really? Mean, yeah, in high school. Actually, I won a junior magician contest in Wisconsin when I was 14. Put me on to the Midwest. I took third place in the Midwest. And I actually contemplated going to an alternative high school so I would have had more time to do magic and didn't do that. But I was really into it. And uh, and then I took a big step away from it after um, I started my business and that about 2010 after we lost the majority I had a little free time in the legislature I got back into it and now I'm just loving you know I do my little Magic Monday videos and I've got to become friends with David Copperfield and seriously yeah I just got <laughs> posters of like him and Doug Henning and Siegfried and Roy and all these people when I was a kid now like we, we talk to each other on the phone he'll call to talk politics
1: that's crazy it's fun that's awesome yeah, it's fun <laughs> do you have a favorite trick that you do or can you just I mean you can't give away your secrets I guess yeah
2: but. Um, you know I, I enjoy, like, close-up stuff when it happens right in front of you now probably more than anything. But as a kid, I always loved the Houdini milk can escape okay. where he'd be handcuffed, to go into this metal milk can, and they'd lock the lid on it. He'd come out. And um, for my 50th birthday, uh, my husband Phil let me go through a midlife crisis, and uh, I found a used one on a, a magic site and buy it. and no i have not used it um i'm not probably ever going I be to be a little it.
1: afraid of that yeah i know
2: right <laughs> now like the whole drowning thing and all that yeah but it was just something i loved as a kid and i'm glad i now i have one so when i have friends come over who are into magic i show that to them you know that we're all kind of geeky around that they're like oh
0: cool
1: <laughs> <laughs> that's awesome <Yeah. laughs> all right ready for your last one sure what's your favorite wisconsin cheese
2: Oh, that one's easy. Um, uh, Bandage Cheddar from Bluemont Dairy. To be fair, Willie and Ketus are my neighbors, too. Mm. By neighbors where I live, that means like four miles down the road. But right. um, they bring like a big block to neighborhood parties. And if you want to find me in a neighborhood party, I'm next to the big block. <laughs> I would <So>. be, too. <laughs> That's yeah, if you have like the be. farmer's market, they yeah, say. no, yeah. it's really good. Yeah, awesome.
1: I think um, I remember, oh, a year or so ago, Tori Miller, the chef in Madison, was on one of those Food Network shows mm-hmm. and he used that cheese on the show. And for imagination downtown, saw this brief but large spike in sales after that happened because it was on TV
2: Reince Priebus brought some on a national show really and one time as an example of Wisconsin cheese (laughs) it's like of course you brought like the best cheese from the state yeah well yeah it's really good but there's a lot of I mean we have a lot of good cheese in my district. So one of the things we do when I get swear in every two years, we have a party and we get 10 cheeses from the district. And we just lay them all out for people. And we get all these people come by and they can try all this, like, amazing cheese. And I always have Bandage Cheddar and Pleasant Ridge and Hooks mm-hmm. and um, uh, oh uh, Landmark, uh, the one I am forgetting the name of, but it's really good from uh, Anna's uh uh work there's great cheese
1: yeah there's so much good cheese within driving distance i know you could keep talking about it i know we could have just made this whole thing about
0: cheese
1: (laughs) 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 thank you for listening to wedge issues our theme music is oh wisconsin by loxley We'll be back every Friday with new episodes, so make sure you're subscribed on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts to stay up to date. You can also leave us a rating or a review on iTunes. And if you have more feedback or suggestions for me, you can find me on Twitter at jessieopie, or you can email me at j-o-p-o-i-e-n at madison.com. If you want to check out some other Cap Times podcasts, you're in luck because we've got the Mad MadSplainers and the Corner Table available wherever podcasts are found. Thanks again for listening. We'll see you next week.
0: Wedge Issues has been brought to you by wispolitics.com. There are plenty of benefits to becoming a member. You can go to wispolitics.com slash membership to find out more.